you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we're a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories from spaces where endowments and community intersect, because it's good to be well endowed. So first up, we would like to thank everybody who came out earlier this month to celebrate our 10,000th download milestone. It was great to connect, and we are really grateful to have such a great bunch of people to celebrate with. Our first story is another fantastic piece of Edmonton's history brought to you by our correspondent, Chris Changyan Phillips. If you're a tourist or just out for a date, riding the streetcar can be a nice way to spend the afternoon. Ride back and forth across the high-level bridge and maybe grab some veggies at the farmer's market afterward. Do you know what I really like to use the streetcar for? Is uh, getting to and from the fringe grounds in August. That's a great thing. Yeah, Yeah. because parking is the worst. (laughs) And so usually just uh, either park downtown or take the bus downtown and go have an old timey ride uh, across the high level. And it drops you right off at the South Beer Tent, which is always a nice place to be uh, welcome to (laughs) on the fringe grounds. I've used it actually for the other way for July 1st Canada Day festivities at the ledge. These are pro tips, friends. Write these down. Uh, But, you know, Edmonton streetcar system wasn't always a tourist attraction. It used to be, well, just how people got around. Uh, So Chris headed down to the Edmonton Radial Railway Society to ask their volunteers what these streetcars have come to mean today. Well, it's unlike anything else that you would ever drive. It's an all-electric system. And as soon as you put the power on, you have full torque. So away the streetcar goes. And so it's all about touch and listening for sounds. And it takes a bit of practice to, to get that feel. Yeah, I'm uh, Chris Ashdown, president of the Edmonton Radial Railway Society. We're in the Strathcona streetcar barn. This is where we hold all of our streetcars for operating on the high-level bridge streetcar line. The farmer's market is on the other side of the wall from our barn. We're on the north side of the uh, arts barns. And, and we're standing in front of uh, which car here? Um, right now we're standing in front of uh, Osaka, Japan, number 247. It was built in 1921. You've driven this one, obviously? I've driven all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quiet spring day at the streetcar barns. This place is kind of a mix of a mechanical shop and a museum. Volunteers are making a little chain-link barrier between the two, so visitors don't go wandering out between the park streetcars. The season is about to start, and the Edmonton Radial Railway Society has just got some big news. The city's approved a line extension of about one block. So now the streetcars will go all the way across to White Avenue. I admit, I think it's kind of neat, but a bit hilarious compared to the scope of how big Edmonton's streetcar system used to be. Streetcars were the first public transportation system in Edmonton, starting in 1908. Um, so it was millions of people rode the streetcars in Edmonton. So they um, predated buses and trolley buses and then eventually LRT. The earlier generations uh, rode streetcars all the time. Uh, we had lines that came down to the south side in Strathcona, so along White Avenue. There was a line that went along 76th Avenue to McKernan Lake, to um, a big uh, lake, so there was both summer and winter activities that went on there. A lake which does not exist anymore. No, no. Today, the streetcar services just two little lines, one at Fort Edmonton Park 
and one across the high-level bridge. The volunteers skew heavily towards older, retired guys. But they have some really big kid fans, like the one in this newspaper clipping that they've saved. It's Jack Forstier. Um, he's a fiddler, um, really well-known, really experienced, um, highly awarded fiddler. He used to ride on the streetcar quite regularly with his mother when he was quite young. Uh, we've been keeping track of the numbers over the years, and we knew that in that year, the 500, the half millionth passenger would be on the car. This is Tony Kernahan, who's one of our early members in the society. And then as it got, as the numbers crept towards that, it was going to be on a Saturday morning, and we had two streetcars out that morning, and Jack and his mum were on one of them. So I suppose we, I wouldn't say cooked the books, but we made sure that Jack would be on the car and we, you know, he was the half millionth. <laughs> um, I mean, he deserved it because he came every week, every Saturday morning, he was there with his mum. Yeah, so. Were you, were you driving that day? I was actually, yeah, yeah. What did you give him? What did you give Jack? It was actually a conductor's hat. Yeah. And afterwards, for the rest of that season, and I think the next season, he wore it when he came on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. He always had it. Yeah. I can't decide what this streetcar service means to me. On the one hand, it's kind of a frustrating, overly nostalgic reminder that Edmonton wasn't always a place where you needed a car to get around. On the other hand, I'm kind of charmed by what the streetcar system has become as a novelty. I mean, I've been on one of those secret streetcar shows where you get on the streetcar and you park in the middle of the bridge and you have a tiny concert with maybe the 20 of you that fit on the streetcar. And you can see the sunset in the background. You can see the view all up and down the river valley. I don't know how to decide. Is this kitsch or is it just something nice? I think we announced it to the car that uh, Jack was the half millionth passenger since we started. Yeah, so it was fun, yeah. <laughs> but he was interviewed, I think, and he was asked, well, what do you like about it? He says, well, I like the people, I like the scenery, but I wish it went a bit faster. <laughs> that was Chris Changyan Phillips speaking with Edmonton Radial Railway Society's Chris Ashdown and Tony Kernahan. Their Fort Ed line is closed at the moment while the park is under renovation, but the high-level bridge opens again on May 17. And speaking of important dates in May, don't forget that we have some student award deadlines coming up. Yes, if you want to apply for some money to put towards your education, head over to our website for details on how to do it. There are four applications due on May 15th. Those are the Young Edmonton Grants for projects initiated, led, and organized by Young Edmontonians. The ECF Awards and Bursaries for Students Experiencing Financial Need. The Alexander M. Munn Scholarships and John and Andrea Wallen Awards for Young Students with Special Talent in Classical Music. And last, the Edmonton Refugee and Emerging Communities Award. If any of those sound interesting, be sure to check out our show notes for links for more information about application requirements. So, Elizabeth, I hear you went on a fun field trip a couple weeks ago. I did. I went to the Indigenous Career Fair that was hosted by Edmonton Public Schools, and it was even more special because... It was actually organized by my husband. His name is Gary Smith. Hi, I'm Gary Smith, assistant principal at Prince Charles School. Actually, I'm really enjoying being here today because I really listen a lot to the podcast and really enjoy it. So it's kind of nice to be on the other side of the mic to be able to see what's going on. Awesome. I guess this would be a good time to note that Edmonton Community Foundation did provide some funding for this event, but your relationship with Gary had no impact on their funding application. Uh, our process is uh, quite rigorous and uh, third party, so just thought we would give you the heads up, listeners. 
All right. So back to this career fair. Uh, so what was it like? And uh, did you have uh, fun over there? It was great. There was a variety of Indigenous speakers who shared their stories and, and created activities to do with the students. All the students were in grade six. So it was a full day and it shared many ideas. I spent some time with a few of the speakers, which we'll share with you. But first, I sat down with Gary in the studio. We talked about how his career fair came about and the impact it could have. So, Gary, can you tell us a little bit about what was the Indigenous Career Fair? It was an activity that came together for grade six students at my school, which is Prince Charles Elementary, and St. Francis of Assisi Elementary School as a bit of a project for working on reconciliation for our students. The idea was to get them together with amazing Indigenous mentors that would be able to help them see where they can go if they continue their pathway in school. Because the idea is we want them to finish high school and then go beyond. So what is unique about these students that attended the career fair? Well, um, they're moving into junior high next year. They are mostly Indigenous students. My school has 93% Indigenous students. St. Francis of Assisi has about 50 to 60% Indigenous but it's also for those that are non-Indigenous because we want to get rid of the negative stereotypes of the Indigenous peoples in Alberta, and we want to put positive role models in front of all the kids. How does this further reconciliation? It really kind of demystifies a lot of things for kids. The fact that we're putting people that are doing great work in our city and in the area around our city uh, who happen to be Indigenous and put them with the kids so that they can see themselves down the road doing these types of things. The kids got to choose the sessions that they wanted to go to, and they also were able to hear from Councillor Aaron Paquette about his experiences, as well as Brandy Morin, who brought just an amazing perspective as an Indigenous woman who has not only worked in the media, but has also worked as an entrepreneur developing her own company. So why is this kind of thing important? It's critical for kids because we're looking at high school completion rates. And when we compare Indigenous and non-Indigenous, it's showing statistically that non-Indigenous students don't finish high school as often. And this is a way that we thought that it would give them something to work towards. It would give them people to look at as examples that will help them to see that finishing creates such amazing opportunities for their futures. So what barriers are there for these kids? A lot of our students face uh, poverty. They face trauma. Their families have faced uh, issues related to residential schooling. Um, school has not often been in the past a safe place for them to attend. So getting our families into our schools and involved in activities has been very important, especially at, at Prince Charles. We have uh, in-house elders, we have family support workers, we have Cree language instruction. It's, it's a place where being an Indigenous student is it's one of the best places to be because you're able to celebrate your culture, but you're also able to go to school in a situation where you're not facing some of the, I guess, racism that they do face in other schools. And what kind of things did they hear about that day? Oh, we had a wide variety. We had a number of people who were speakers from the city of Edmonton. They have a group of Indigenous employees who get together, and they brought a number of people to the table talking about things like 
youth lifeguard programs, um, the programs that are going on at Fort Edmonton. We also had a member of the Edmonton Police Service who came in to talk. We had an art teacher who happens to be an active artist as well, a woman who is working with the ATA and was a member of the First Nations Métis Inuit Education Unit with Edmonton Public Schools prior to that. ATA is Alberta Teachers Association? Yes, it is. Other speakers that we had, we had Robert Granjam, who is a millwright, but he's also an active trapper. And he was able to bring his story to the kids as they made dream catchers with him. Councillor Aaron Paquette came in and did almost an hour with the kids. And it was just an amazing experience watching him work the room and go around and make eye contact with every single child in that room. And Brandy Morin, at the end of the day, sharing her story of uh, having been in the media, but also being an amazing entrepreneur and developing her own clothing company, was, I think, inspiring. When our team on the podcast heard about the plans for the lineup, we thought it would be a good idea to go out and check out this event. So we took our recorders along and got to catch up with a few of the presenters to hear about how their day went. Councillor Aaron Paquette spoke to the students just after lunch and was kind enough to stay and chat. Just a heads up, there's a bit of activity in the background as groups of students are settling in for the next session. And the venue staff are cleaning up the room. What was the message you wanted to get across to them today? Uh, you know, the message was really threefold, and that was that they can actually determine what their life is going to be through their words, the words they, they think, the words they speak, and the words they take action on. Uh, the other one was that uh, there's something inside of them that the world needs, whether they realize it right now or not. What's that thing inside of you? Like, I had a book inside of me, and I put it in a drawer. So what's that thing that you might have put in a drawer or never let outside of you? that is really awesome, but you thought maybe no one would ever care about it, or you thought maybe it's not that special. What's that thing? Because whatever it is, someone needs it. Sometimes we just need to encourage each other, and so that was the, the last message, was that you know, we have to have that self-respect and respect for others in order to make something great out of our lives. And Sometimes that makes us feel uncomfortable. We can feel like we're lost in the woods about it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be okay because we have each other. I want you to say, I am proud of myself. I am proud of myself. That's great. Do it again. I am proud of myself. I am proud of myself. One more time. I am proud of myself. I am proud of myself. And now, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I am proud of you. You had a great message for them and a great speech, and it was a little interactive, which was a lot of fun. Who in your life has inspired you like you were hoping to do today? You know, the interesting thing is that uh, when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of role models. So my role model was my mom. Mm -hmm. And my mom, uh, you know, she found herself to a single mom. I was uh, five years old. She had five kids, and she didn't know what she was going to do. And so she started doing what she used to do back on the farm, and that is connecting. Nice. So she knocked on the doors of our neighbors, and we lived in Millwoods, and, well, it was Duggan, pretty close to Millwoods, and it was a low-income uh, area. And so there was immigrants, there was indigenous, there were uh, seniors, there were people with disabilities, and she connected all the people and said, listen, um, we can maximize our, our dollar if we buy in bulk, which wasn't a thing at the time. And so she... Uh, 
talked to some wholesalers and they agreed and so they bought in bulk. And some of the neighbors said, you know, where we come from, we actually cook with different ingredients. Can we get that? And she said, sure. And she was intrigued and said, well, why don't you teach us how to, how to make that? There was a little community kitchen. So every Thursday night, the community would come out and a new dish would be made. And as kids, our job was to go and get the, the seniors and the people who would normally not come out of their house and bring them out to eat. And oh, it smells in the neighborhood. It was great. And they moved from that to organizing where professionals would come in and speak to them on those nights. So if you needed to know how to do personal finance or health or you know your way around uh, the city or your legal system, we would have these professionals leave their cards. And, and then they formed a community daycare. Because my mom thought, you know, I'd really like to finish school. And I'm sure there's other people who would like to as well. And so they formed a community daycare. And the, in that way, the whole neighborhood lifted themselves up. So my mom is my role model. And the rest of my community sort of serve that as well, to see how everyone could work together to help each other. Sadly, she passed away a little over a year ago, but the lessons that she gave me are the same lessons that I pass on to my kids and to everyone I meet. And so one person can have such a wonderful ripple effect in all the lives around them. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's hoping to be done today, is that something will click in for these kids somewhere along the line for them to say, hmm, that is something I haven't thought about. Yeah, it's not usual that, and usually doesn't happen, that one address, one afternoon, one speech or whatever will change someone's life. But it's the aggregate. So the more that they hear these messages and from diverse voices, the more it's going to have an impact on the way that they think about what they can do in life. In your opinion, how valuable is it to be able to speak to Indigenous children or have Indigenous children hear Indigenous mentors? As I said, we didn't really have that when I was growing up as an Indigenous uh, student. In fact, I don't think it ever happened. And so I can only guess that from my experience that if I had seen that, it would have shortened my journey from, from A to Z much faster. I would have been able to skip all of those hard lessons along the way. Some of them are important, but there's a difference between struggling to succeed and then digging yourself out of trauma. Right. And if we can reduce uh, the barriers, the, the better it is, because life's going to throw stuff at you regardless. You don't need to you seek look, out tough stuff Yeah, to you don't look tough. up hardship. You don't yeah. have to look up life, hardship. Life will provide that anyway. So the more hardship and barriers that we can reduce for, for uh, young kids now means that we give them an opportunity to contribute in ways that we ourselves could never imagine. So we're unlocking all of this potential, and that's what's really exciting to me. It actually uh, haunts me a little bit to think of all the potential that is locked away by poverty that could literally change the world. And so by, by dealing with poverty, we actually open things up to incredible uh, accomplishments, incredible contributions that, that would never have happened otherwise. So and poverty can be measured in money. It can also be measured in opportunities. That was Councillor Aaron Paquette talking about the messages he hoped to bring to the students at the career fair. And they are the kind of messages that resonate for us grown-ups, too. That our voices and actions are meaningful, that we have something special to offer, and it's okay to be proud of ourselves and each other. Next, we caught up with Kenton Botillier. Uh, my name is Kenton Botillier, and I'm the Indigenous Student Services Support Coordinator uh, at the University of Alberta in the Indigenous Health Initiatives Program. So part of what my program does, uh, we're situated in the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry, and we support Indigenous students who are already in our five health sciences. So that's medicine, dentistry, dental hygiene, medical laboratory sciences, and radiation therapy. 
but one of our main pillars is to increase Indigenous health professionals and there's a huge gap and so we need to recruit um, kids from communities, Indigenous communities and we start from grade six on up and um, so I recruit and you know at that point I'm just encouraging them to go to university and go to school and the ways they can do that. This today was part of our science outreach and so it's another way of getting kids interested in sciences and then ultimately health sciences uh, and just gives them an opportunity to get comfortable with things that they might not necessarily be comfortable with or have had exposure to and um, really just try to spark that seed of interest in science period. Kenton had two sessions at the fair. I asked him what he had done for the students. We just looked at like bug specimens and and we looked at um, plush bugs and I bring um, lab coats so they can gown up and, and you know just start feeling the vibe and again it's just becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable which is always the first lesson I like to start with. So why is it so important to have Indigenous medical professionals? Whew. Well uh, culturally safe care is very important and so I mean to me what that boils down to is even if you're a medical professional or a lawyer whomever you I mean you treat the person in front of you like you would treat your own child, your own spouse, you know, and how you'd want them to be treated. There is a huge gap though. I mean, the last actual statistics that have been done would show for non-Indigenous physicians to non-Indigenous patients, it's about one in uh, 600. For Indigenous doctors to Indigenous patients, it's about one in 30,000. So there's a really big gap. And there's people all over that aren't getting the proper care that they need. And so increasing Indigenous health presence, that's an amazing thing, period. And, and then for our non-Indigenous students to also be able to provide safe care for any Indigenous patients, rural or urban, that they might encounter is very important to us as well. What kind of statistics are we looking at in terms of um, Indigenous youth entering the medical field at any level? Ooh, uh, it's different across Canada. Um, so in Edmonton, our program's been around uh, since 1988 and uh, I have graduated uh, about 215 health professionals. So in, say, the, since 2014, out of uh, 27 graduates, um, 19 of those went on to family medicine, which is amazing. And then the rest were in uh, surgery, emergency, plastics, and uh, internal medicine. Um, yeah, we, we've had some great success stories and we're about connecting students that are maybe even newer on their journey to, to their community and, and their culture and um, through elders. And, and we're very blessed to be supported by community and we are a community-driven process. So we, we work and listen to those whom we serve. What do you think is the biggest barrier to Indigenous youth entering the medical field? There's a, there's a few. The biggest barrier, I would say, is, is not being able to see themselves there. So, um, you know, if when I met you at the Rotary Club and in the, in the lobby of the hotel, they have a plaque that says the Rotary Club meets here every Wednesday. So everybody in the Rotary Club knows that they're welcome there and that's a place that they can be. So we want to do that for Indigenous peoples too, right? And you want to have it a place where they feel comfortable and a place where they can see themselves coming, a place where the community feels safe and secure in sending their youth out, right, and to us. And so we have an Indigenous gathering space, and that's a space where just our health science students can come and study, do ceremony if they want. It's smudge capable. Um, it just allows them to have a little bit of space where they can breathe and be themselves. Awesome. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, we do have lots of um, volunteer opportunities, so if anybody's out there that, that wants or if anybody knows of, of students, rural or urban, that um, you know, don't often get a chance to come in and, and know that they're welcome to be, uh, we, we'd welcome them anytime and um, can arrange tours and simulations and things like that. And we, we're there from start to finish for your journey, wherever, if you come to us in elementary, if you come to us in 
your undergrad um, will support you and, and walk with you those steps. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. While we were chatting with Kenton, we saw a familiar face in the hall. It was Ramsey Mudrick. You might remember him from episode 40 when he and Tanea Mahi told us about the Belco Brasso Métis Awards. It was a fun surprise to see that he was at the fair to share his story with the students too. Hey Ramsey, great to see you again. Nice to see you too. So uh, it's interesting that you're here. What, what kind of message are you hoping to get to the kids today? Um, me and Teresa are here just trying to get uh, the students to start thinking about what they are going to want to do in the future. Um, maybe not an exact career, but just uh, to start thinking about what kind of passions they might have or what they're interested in. So when you say Teresa, you mean Teresa Majerin from the Belco Brasso Métis Awards, right? Yes. What were you talking about really, in terms of your path? Uh, for myself, I just told them about how uh, I found my career path and my passion and just told them how uh, your career decisions might change or how you have to be outgoing throughout your life in order to find what you truly love. Do you think that um, financial barriers are a big barrier for kids not going to school? Especially for Indigenous people, I would say so, since they usually come from a lower socioeconomic upbringing. And in my own personal life, I've heard a lot of people say, like, I can't go to school because I can't afford it. Um, and if they're Métis or First Nations, I'll usually try to figure out a way to help them out. And I'll often tell them about the BBMAs. So where, where did your career path take you? And I know that we've had you on the show, but just uh, what did you talk to the kids about that you are doing now? Uh, right now, uh, I'm still in the middle of my education for becoming a paramedic, um, but I did complete my EMR already. And uh, I'm currently uh, going through all my courses that are required for going into the field I want to go in. Uh, there's very many certificates you need. Um, but the BBMAs is going to support me in getting the larger certificates and diplomas, such as uh, my EMT. And uh, the BBMA also funded me through my uh, first year university, uh, first and only year university, where I decided that uh, university wasn't exactly for me and I didn't want to go down the career path anymore. And um, honestly, that decision might not have been possible without the BBMAs to be able to go to university, see what I like, and then decide it's not for me and have to go down a different path. And self-discovery and ex exploration of yeah. education is important sometimes just to find out where you're not going to fit as yeah, well, right? exactly right. What did you do with the kids and did you have some fun? Um, we just talked about, uh, me and Teresa kind of talked about ourselves a little bit and then we asked the kids what their passions were, any kind of career goals they have. Uh, impressively, some of them actually did have good ideas of what they want to do with their careers a lot earlier than I thought they would. Um, and it was, some of them were very, uh, had very good ideas of what they wanted to do, and that was pretty uh, nice to hear. Anything stuck out in your mind of what anyone said that was unique? Jeremy said he wanted to be a marine biologist, and he had some pretty cool stories to tell about that. And That's yeah. fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Did you have any mentors in your life that you can look to and say, hey, I'm really glad that I met that person? Uh, yes, uh, my friend Sheridan Naz, uh, he definitely influenced me. He's the one that uh, urged me to join my lo local fire department, and that's kind of where I found my passion in emergency services. Um, also, my uh, instructor, um, Barand, I forget his last name, uh, he was very great throughout the entire EMR program. And then Teresa as well. 
She supported me so much throughout my experience with the BBMAs and helping me connect with my Métis heritage. And she helped so many students in their education as well. As you can hear, the grade six students had a lot to take in from the day. And it was all topped off with another fantastic guest, Brandy Morin. Tanze, my name is Brandy Morin. I am a journalist and entrepreneur with Mixed Blood Apparel. So talk a little bit about why you want to be here today. Wow, it's just such an amazing opportunity. Thank you. I'm so thankful to be here. So I just um, thought it would be awesome to have the chance to impact the lives of these young kids, these future leaders, these future world changers and impactors, and to share with them some of my experience and what I do and to um, just encourage them that you know they can follow it sounds so cliche, follow their hearts. But definitely I was like, yeah, I want to um, just really be that influence to them. I don't think it is cliche because I don't think people say enough, it's okay to follow your heart. Mm. I think that people sort of learn that over time, but I don't think, it's almost like you need permission sometimes to be able to follow your heart, to find what you wanna do. What was one of the influences that you had in your life that led you to where you were going? Well, a huge, impact for me as creator. Absolutely through it all, I've been inspired by and helped by creator. So faith. Yes. Um, and you had said that you always loved writing. That was part of your presentation um, and that you had passion towards it and that helped a little bit too. Mm -hmm. It helped you with your first job. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to these grade six students who um, aren't sure quite what careers are available to them. Wow, I would just really encourage them to not feel too much pressure that they have to maybe pick something that somebody else wants them to do, you know, such as their parents or somebody of influence in their life. I would really ask them to take some time and look at the things that they're good at and the things that they naturally enjoy doing and try to correlate that to a job. Um, or a business, because I really think that the things we're naturally drawn at is the things that we're going to excel in and make an impact on the most. Sometimes a, a job isn't one that already exists. Sometimes you make your job, and you certainly did that with Mixed Blood Apparel. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're thinking, if, if one of the kids are thinking, I don't know, I love doing whatever, but how's that ever going to be a job? What would you say to them? I would say to make it a job, to create it, to take a risk, to be a you know, a creator to be a entrepreneur. I was uh, saying that earlier too, I really believe that if you find a problem uh, using something that you're good at or passionate, create a solution for that problem and uh, make that into a career, make it into a business because ultimately your passion and love for that is going to carry you through any challenges that come about, any doubts that come about, it's going to carry you through the long run because there's going to be many, many ups and downs and uh, you're going to really get a lot more than just, um, you know, um, a paycheck or other kind of motivations. One of Brandy's passions and careers has been journalism and to help the students get a glimpse into what that world looks like, she gave them a crash course on how to do an interview. I was excited to be on the other side of the mic for this one and the student interviewing did a great job forming her own questions on the spot. You come up on stage, please, and I'm going to ask a volunteer from the audience who would like to come and interview her. Hello, my name is Preston. What's your name? I'm Elizabeth Bondi. What do you do in your job? 
I do a number of things, but one of the things I'm here doing today is my podcast. So I'm interviewing some of the speakers and some of the kids talking about this career fair. Uh, what led you to your job and did you face any obstacles being... Um... That's a great question. Um, I like to talk. So um, I started working into communications and writing and journalism. If you could have any other job, like if you knew you were going to be, um, like you would, like you wouldn't fail at the job, or would you have anything else? I think if I could have picked anything else and started differently when I was really young, I probably would have been a veterinarian or a zookeeper. So if I would have studied my sciences instead of talking so much, I probably could have done that. Thank you. What's one piece of advice that you got that has helped you get through your lifetime? Oh my gosh. <laughs> one. One piece. Or many pieces. <laughs> um, for me, it's just been people that have come into my life that have believed in me when, and seen good things in me or seen potential in me when I was at places where I didn't believe in myself. And so that when they encouraged me I would uh, really take that in and that would help carry me through. So um, having others, you know, believe say that they you. believe in me helped me to believe in myself and therefore helps others through um, inspiration and, you know, how I can help them too. That's great. Um, anything you want to add for us? I just want to stress too, you, you talk about never giving up and I was just um, meeting with um, some young women from the U of A a couple of weeks ago, and that's something that I really shared with them and really stressed. Never, never give up, and I'm gonna be putting a Cree saying to that on one of my new designs, because throughout my whole life, I've, um, that's been kind of an anthem, you know, kind of for my life, and um, it, it takes you places, for sure. I think that's a that's an excellent anthem for everyone to have because everyone has those times when they just feel like this nothing's going right. I know for me, my saying is when things don't go right, go left. So make a complete change in your life and see what happens that they maybe might work for you. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think that's just keep going is a is a great, you know, just keep swimming. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which are all great messages that I think we all need to internalize a little bit. It was an exciting day and the students had a lot of ideas to take with them. But really, you're just planting a seed. So what more can we do? Gary and I talked about this back in the studio. So how does this activity change where they might be going? Like, certainly one seminar isn't going to change the life of one person, but how will this affect um, their outlook or, or how they see themselves? You're correct that one session isn't likely going to be life-changing, but with the follow-up from their teachers and with their ability to move into junior and senior high where career transitions is extremely important and dealt with in kind of a more high-end way in junior high and high school, um, it'll give them something to start with. As they're picking their options when they go into junior high, it'll give them the opportunity to possibly make a more career-oriented choice. So instead of just taking something general, they can take something that will work towards their level of interest in one of the careers that they might have seen at the career fair. What kind of impact or outcomes are you expecting from this? Ideally, I would like the kids to come away with a couple of people that they can look to as examples. I'd like them to see their future as far more positive than maybe it had been prior. I know with a lot of 
the situations that they face on a daily basis, things like not having enough food to eat, not feeling sometimes safe, I guess. Uh, this is an opportunity for them to look at what their future could be in a very positive light. And the fact that school is a very safe place at Prince Charles and at St. Francis for the kids helps them to be able to see beyond what goes on outside. Sometimes if, if you don't see something in person, you don't really know that it exists. So if you've never been introduced to it, so maybe some of these kids might walk away from the day saying, hey, I never even knew that was a possibility. Yeah, and I think the fact that they're bombarded with so many images in the media um, of imagery and ideas and it it can be overwhelming for them, this will give them a more aligned way of thinking about their futures, possibly, because there was a wide variety of things that they can look at as positive, possible futures. So will this kind of thing be repeated? I'm hoping this is going to be an annual event. Uh, I've already started the planning for next year, and we're hoping that it just continues to grow and that we can impact more and more students as we move forward. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh I'd like to thank the Edmonton Community Foundation for the grant that we received because without it, we would not have been able to do what we were able to do for kids. It was critical to the success of the event and will be critical in getting it going and hopefully it will continue into the future because of that. Thanks so much to Gary Smith for joining us on the show and to Councillor Aaron Paquette, Brandy Morin, Kenton Botillier, and Ramsey Mudrick for taking some extra time to talk with us at the Indigenous Career Fair. So Elizabeth, what was one of your favorite messages or learnings that you received while you were at the fair? I had a chance to chat with a couple of students and one of them was really certain about what he wanted to do. He wanted to become a police officer. He was happy to meet an Indigenous police officer. Um, and the other student that we chatted with wasn't quite so sure, but she loved to write stories. So you never know where your favorite pastime will take you. The kids were soaking up the day, but it was really clear that the opportunity was unique and full of inspiration. Yeah, that does sound like a very inspiring event. And I hope they do it uh, again next year. That would be fantastic. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And hey, if you have an extra minute, please share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews help new listeners find us, and they also make our hearts happy. We're on Facebook, too, so be sure to follow us there. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Bonking. Until, Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed. And I don't know if you've ever heard wolves howling in the middle of the night. It is crazy. How about you help me out? Let's take a deep breath. Everyone howl with me. One, two, three. Oh!